You wait a moment, Doctor. Let's get it right. I've got a few things to say to you. Basic stuff first. Never be cruel, never be cowardly, and never ever eat pears. Remember, hate is always foolish, and love is always wise. Laugh hard. Run fast. except it's the power of two. Kenny is not with us on this particular occasion, but this is Tom Harris and I'm joined by Mr. David Steele. Hello, Davey. Hello, Tom. It's good to see you. Feels like ages. Yeah, it has been ages. uh, COVID has taken its toll on the podcasting world as well. But you and I are meeting to talk Mm. about a very specific thing, which has raised its head because of the announcement by the BBC that Chris Mm. Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker are both leaving the show uh, next year after the next season, which will be shown this year, plus three specials that will be shown next year. Um, yes. And of course, on social media and elsewhere, this has raised the question of the direction of the show, especially in light mm-hmm. of Chibnall's decision to cast a woman in the main role. Now, it's a difficult subject for us to talk about, partly because if you even question the idea that there should be a female Doctor Who, you're immediately a misogynist and will come to, to the way that debate has been has been led in the past few years. I have not watched any episodes that Jodie Whittaker has been in. You have, and it'll yes, be an interesting... Right. An interesting conversation because I I can't really talk about the quality of the of the show, uh, mm. and you you can. Yeah. So we know this is just opinions we're talking about. You know, this is no intent to offend or upset anyone. You know, so <laughs> stop listening now if you think you might if you might be too sensitive. Yes, I, I've watched I've watched every episode, and the one thing I'll, I'll mention first of all before before we get over in is I find the announcement of of the the fact that they're going coming two or three days after they did their panel at the San Diego Comic Convention where they were promoting and plugging and bigging up the new series. I find that fascinating. I'd love to know what happened that they decided to to make that decision to do that. Um, you know, I've watched every episode and it's interesting. You know, I had a conversation with Kenny the other week when we recorded the, the episode with Kenny and I that was going to surround this one, I think, probably. And I was sort of saying to Kenny, lamenting how my, my active engagement with the programme is probably the lowest that it's been since the mid-80s when, you know, when there was the big 
what felt at the time in 1985 felt like a lifetime in the two Colin Baker series, but nowadays we're used to these massive gaps between the series. And it has made me realise that there needs to be a sense that the programme is actually current for me to stay engaged and actively interested in it. But a big part, so a big part of the of my lack of active interest is the gaps between series. But it's also, I can't lie, it's partly because of the programme that we've been getting. You know, I've, I mean, I've, I've said many times on the on the podcast that I wasn't the biggest fan of of what Stephen Moffat did, and you know how my interest during that kind of waxed and waned. You know, the repetitive storylines, the inappropriate humour, the focus on inter-character relationships rather than stories. You know, a sense that at times it was maybe getting a bit stretched because Mr. Moffat was also working on Sherlock and, you know, that sort of thing. But this this malaise that I felt has kind of continued to develop, you know, during the episodes of his successor. I mean, you know, it's we've, we've alluded to it in the past in the podcast, obviously, you know, when, when I've talked a little bit about an episode that's been on and then asked you what you thought. <laughs> it's our running gag, isn't it? But, you know, indeed, indeed. you ask me a little bit about it and then I say, what do you think? And you say... Oh, I haven't seen it, and we cue the credits. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm probably straight. I'm probably straying away from whatever point or question that, that we raise, but it's put it this way: I'm not absolutely distraught that they're both going. Well, it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, I want I want us in this podcast to uh, address the elephant in the room, which goes back to you know the whole idea of having a female doctor. I mean. There were back in 2017 and earlier. There were there were some good reasons, you know, and reasonable logical reasons that were posited by some fans that they should cast a woman in the role. Right? I, I never particularly agreed with it, but I could understand where they were coming from. You know, I could understand that argument. What I wish is that those people who feel very strongly in favour of casting a woman had shown the same level of respect and tolerance towards us, to those of us who didn't want, you know, who thought it, yes. was, thought it was perfectly okay to have a man in the role. And you know something? It all goes back to Brexit. Brexit changed the nature of conversations in this country because during the Brexit referendum, we went from being quite a measured nuanced country or, or a country that had a nuanced measured political debate to one that basically said if you disagree with me you're a fascist yes right? yeah. we, we yeah. lost all tolerance and people like Paul Cornell uh, in the mm. in the fandom in the fan mm. world started it by saying I think it was an interview with Doctor Who magazine years and years ago, that anyone who objected to a woman becoming a doctor was a monster. He actually used the word monster, right? Mm. Now, obviously, that's mental. Obviously, that is a <laughs> ludicrous position for an adult to take because it's not a monstrous opinion. It might be an opinion you disagree with. It might be an argument that you would prefer other people not to hold, but you can make a valid argument on both sides of it. and. Yeah. And what has become apparent in fandom in recent years is that neither side wants to acknowledge that. Yeah. Each, each side is absolutely right and the other side is absolutely wrong. And all sorts of implications are drawn about the characters and the morals of people who disagree with them. Yeah. And, you know, let's remember, this is a TV show. Yes. Therefore, yeah. by definition, none of it matters. It doesn't matter a damn. 
but, but we call yeah. each other fascists and misogynists and transphobes because we have a different view. Now, let, let's go back to basics. I object. I, I haven't watched the new show since George Whitaker took over because I don't look on it as Doctor Who anymore. I, I know that I wouldn't look on that character and be able to relate to her as the Doctor because yeah. I, I think fundamentally... You know, I, you, you know, you can accept that a character changes personality and physical appearance um, and still accept it in your head. You can suspend disbelief. I think it's quite easy to do it, to, to believe that, that, that the character played by John Pertwee is the same character played by Tom Baker. That's not a huge leap. I, I think it's far more difficult. For me personally, this is only about me, right? Yes. I, yes. I personally have a very, you know, I relate to people on, on, you know, I relate to men in a different way that I relate to women. And that's, I think, uh, probably an experience that most people have. So I can't, I can relate to Patrick Troughton and T- Tom Baker and even Sylvester McCoy. I can relate to all of them as, yes. you know, as, yeah. uh, in one way. But I don't relate to, to uh, Lala Ward playing Romana in the same way because she's a woman. Mm. I'd relate yeah. to my, I related to my father in a different way. I relate to my mother because they're different sex. And part of me does think that it was it was a bit of a political manoeuvre, a political approach to decide that it was going to be a woman that took over. But, uh, and, and it was fundamentally based on this new unsupported philosophy that men and women are identical in every respect and that we relate to characters, female and male characters, in exactly the same way. Therefore... And if that were true, there would be no objection to having a woman cast as a doctor. But for me personally, I can't... For, for me, watching the first season of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor would be like watching a brand new show with a new character yeah. in it. And and yeah. I might even have enjoyed it, but the fact is, I don't have the time to watch a new show. You know, if mm. if they've stopped making my old show, that which I loved, and they've, they've started mm. making a new show, I've got other things I, need, I can watch. So that's quite controversial, but that's that's basically where, where I'm coming from as far as yeah. the doctor's concerned. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my attitude about a female doctor was always, it started off as a joke at the press conference when Tom Baker was leaving. You know, Tom and John Absolutely. Nathan Turner up in the back of a taxi on the way to the press conference after being at Madame Tussauds or whatever. And, you know, oh, we can have some fun here. And Tom says, you know, I wish my successor all the best of luck you know, depending who, who, whoever she is. And it's never after that. I mean, it was on um, the BBC archive Twitter account a couple of days ago had, the on this day, 1983, it was a clip of Peter Davison and John Nathan Turner on Nationwide or, or whatever local regional locked out evening news programme it was, talking about Davison going. And, and the, the, the one hand, I was watching thinking, this is astonishing. This is 18 months after Castro Balboa Part 1 went out and he's talking about going already. It's crazy when you're thinking about it. It was this, oh, do you think you might go for a woman? And they, they have a little bit of laugh about it. And it never went away. To me, it was because of the way it was treated and talked about. To me, it was always a gimmick. It's the sort of thing, you know, I had a few friends that would always wind me up and sort of say, anytime a doctor was leaving, oh, it's going to be a woman next day. And I'd be like, oh, shut up. You know, it's the sort of thing that could have done a Christmas special where Davy Tennant, something weird happens to his TARDIS and he spends an episode running about Sue Perkins, who's in a pinstripe suit and a, and a pair of Converse, you know, they could have done it something like that. And, you know, it would have been a novelty. 
And then it started being, obviously, as you say, talked about more seriously. And I, and I agree with you. I think it was done for political reasons. I remember having a very clearly a month or two before it was announced. I think it must have been around the time that Mr Capaldi said that he was leaving. I remember having a conversation with one of the girls I worked with in HMV at that point, and she was sort of saying, why are you sort of against it? And we talked it round and, and eventually sort of came to the conclusion, you know what, it doesn't really matter who plays the doctor. And I realised that was a bit more open to it, but my feeling was still, there is no narrative need for this. The doctor has always been a male who has been shown to be slightly fallible, who has always been supported and travelled with strong, capable female. This goes right back to the start of the series. You know, Jacqueline Hill as, as the teacher that, you know, Barbara, who just copes with anything. Going forward, there's, you know, scientists like Zoe and Liz Shaw, people like Romana, who was shown to be from the Doctor's own planet, who was more capable than he was. People like Tegan, who didn't take any crap from anyone. You know, Doctor has always had strong female characters. Coming back to the new series, characters like Rose and Donna, Amy and, 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 um, and Clara were shown as, you know, as important to the whole narrative. But what Peter Davison made a very interesting point when Jodie Whittaker was cast, and he talked about how Doctor is, you know, going, what I was saying there, Doctor who's always had a male character, while he was very capable and very clever, was shown to be infallible. And he questioned the sense of having, if you were staying true to the character of the Doctor, you then have a female lead who would probably be, you know, shown to be sort of capable of making daft mistakes and being a bit silly. And then would they then have a male companion to sort of show them? So, you know, there was this, this idea of, would this be counterproductive? It's, it's weird. I mean, as I say, I felt there was no narrative need for it. And I agree with you. I think it was done for political box-ticking reasons. A lot of people were very happy about it. Friends of mine were very happy with it. And, you know, that's fine. I kept watching because I kind of, because I persuaded myself. And, you know, and I, I still feel that ultimately it doesn't matter who plays the Doctor. The Doctor is a function in the story to deliver the identification, you know, point characters into their amusing or scary situation and get them out of it again. So, you know, you can boil it down. But I do feel, you know, you haven't watched it, I have watched it, and I'm going to be honest, I say I don't think it's worked very well. There's been moments here and there when I've sort of thought, put this actor beside someone like Tom Baker or William Hartnell or David Tennant, and they just don't compare. But then there are other moments here and there where Jodie has been given little scenes here and there. And I thought, no, right, you're actually, you are actually quite good at this. I mean, I'll have to talk about some specific stuff from a couple of episodes here, which you, you won't have seen, so, you know, Tom, so but some of our listeners probably have. There's a scene in the episode with Lord Byron when Lord Byron basically sort of flirts with the Doctor. And because the Doctor is, you know, this you know this attractive young lady and it's kind of the first time that they'd really touched on this this idea that the doctor might be attractive to someone now because they were in a female body and I was really impressed at the way Jodie played that because there was a sense of someone who had historically been male was now having to respond to this it was very subtle bit of playing that she did but it was very good there was moments I think in the Witchfinders episodes a couple of others like Rosa where you thought no you're you are actually very good at this you could given the right material, be very good. But a lot of the time she hasn't been. It's almost like she's been directed to, to play it like, it's like she's been shown um, a clip of David Tennant or Matt Smith being silly and been told, right, do it like that. And she gets undercut. But there's one episode where she's at a kind of a card table 
and she's dealt a pile of cards. Someone's dealing out croupier, whatever's dealing out cards, and the doctor thinks that she's playing snap. So the joke is, cards are being dealt out. She's going goes snap, which is a fine. It's a good joke. I can imagine any doctor doing that. But then you have her saying, "Oh, is that not the game?" Which totally undercut it and just ruined it. And then the other thing. For all the, the empowering nature, and you might remember the glass ceiling shattering in the trailer when she was, you know, after, soon after she was announced. In her last couple of episodes of the last series, there was an awful lot of Jodie stands about whilst men explain things to her. And I sort of thought, you know, this isn't empowering for a female lead if that was the reason for doing it. Like, you know, Jodie spends an episode being held in a sort of visual effect prison ring type thing whilst the guy playing the master talks at it for 20 minutes. And to me, that's just, it could have been anyone playing the doctor and playing the master. It would not have been good television. I mean, another another reason why my interest is kind of tailed off was that there's all there's a tendency in the new series now to write all this mythologizing, grandiose stuff that paints the doctor as some great, significant cosmic entity rather than just a traveler who hops about and has adventures, which I'm sure is one of the reasons that you and I were both attracted to it. Now, we got this whole thing about how William Hartnell wasn't the first Doctor and there have been potentially hundreds of people before, which I sort of thought, you know, the viewing figures are going down week by week, sales of the magazine are down, etc. apparently, and you're just playing the continuity bollocks. And to me, it seems... That's the arrogance of, of Chibnall. I mean, because yeah. I've, heard, I've heard about the Timeless Child arc. And obviously... There can be no doubt at all that the reason he introduced that is because, obviously, if you've had 12, actually 13 male actors playing the Doctor in his various incarnations, then suddenly, after 50-odd years, you've got a woman playing him, or after thousands of years you know, of, of the Doctor's life, he suddenly transfers to the woman. People will think, oh, why has that happened? That's unusual. So Chibnall, in order to justify that particular decision, has scrapped all the canon of the last 50 years and rewritten it so that Hartnell was just one of many, many previous doctors, mm. half of whom presumably were female, you know. Um, yeah, it was, and it's been a while watched it. So what we got was this child being found, then regenerated through every race and colour and creed and, and, and sex, whatever, before. And a part of me thinks they're probably... From, from what I can see from the fandom, some people are, are into it and some people aren't. Some people aren't bald in the slightest, which is probably the healthiest option. I just found it unnecessary and irritating. It seems like he's basing it all on one clip, one sequence from the brain of Morbius, which was, you know, the other doctors on the screen, which was a joke by the production team to get yeah. them and their pals on television. But you know, you know the, and, he's, the... he's, and I thought, well, you know, why, why do they insist on these ridiculous bits of, you know, continuity? heavy, involved storylines, rather than just doing what Russell T. Davis did, which was make a programme that everyone wants to watch and can understand. What's happened is that, and, and this, this became the case in 2017, that apparently the casting of another man in the role would have been, in quotation marks, offensive, apparently. <laughs> Right, um, yeah, and and that in itself would have been misogynist, and yet it is it is surely an undoubted fact that having male characters, even having male heterosexual characters, which is what the Doctor was, is okay. It's okay to have a drama, a made-up thing, with a male character, a male leading character. That's all right. 
And if you were watching yes. the show up to 2017 and you were personally offended by the fact that the doctor was male, it's okay, that's fine. That's okay to have an opinion like that. But, you know, almost every new television set these days has an off switch. Um, <laughs> and I know this for a fact because in 2017, I discovered the off switch on my own television. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, you don't yeah, have yeah. to watch things, but I don't, I, I yeah. simply don't believe that anyone watching Doctor Who up until, you know, whenever Jodie Whittaker took over at the beginning of 2018, I don't believe that any of them watching it and who saw Matt Smith or P Peter Capaldi in that role thought to themselves, I am offended that there's a man in this show. Yeah. That's, that's not a fan who says that. You know, that's, that's, that's not the way fans yeah. think. I mean, and I'm, and I don't, I don't not yeah, watch yeah. it because I'm offended. I'm, I don't watch it because I, I don't regard it as the doctor anymore. I think the, I think the, yeah, the need to sort of be political about it has even sort of crept into the stories. I mean, I've been watching the Behind the Sofas in season ten, the season ten classic series Blu-ray recently, including the Green Death, obviously, and there was episodes in the the last Jodie Whittaker series that. We're also making the pollution point, but with all the subtlety and charm of a sledgehammer to the face, there was also another episode. I can't even remember. It's, can you hear me? I think it was called. I mean, this is the, the worst indicator. I've been watching these episodes, but I've watched them a maximum of twice. <laughs> you know, long gone are the days when I'd watch every Russell T. Davis or even Mr. Moffat, you know, pit, you know, chaperone story like, you know, three or four times a week for the next one. There's another one called Can You Hear Me, which had some amazing, really, really creepy stuff. And a bit with animation, which they'd never done before, which was really, really effective. But it was torpedoed by the fact that you had this girl from, I think, something like the 8th or 9th century, I forget the specifics now, talking about um, the importance of strong and good mental health. And that was the, basically <laughs> the language that was used. <laughs> you know, it's the way that the programme, even, you know, from the, from the as, you, as we you know we said about the political reasons for for casting a woman, even you know ra rather which seemed to be the case rather than even just for the the sake of doing it because it might be funny or entertaining, the program seems to have metamorphosed into this this need to address sort of the hot topic conversational issues of the day using the language of the day rather than just continuing to be a program which had the spirit of the Saturday morning adventure serials or the exciting cliffhanger weekly program. I mean, it's it's gone from being a program about traveling in time and space, wearing amazing clothes and having fighting monsters played by impeccable actors to, you know, right, what soft topic lefty, you know, <laughs> cry baby, <laughs> Jen, you know, issue can hot topic. Can we can we write a story about this week? It's particularly the most lefty cry baby person no. It's it's kind of irritating, you know. She 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 was given this uh, new costume, which of course, well, I say of course, it never been done before. But you know, she had the the rainbow uh, stripe. Mm. I can't remember mm. if it's in her braces or if it's across her her t shirt. It's on a t shirt. I can't remember if it's on the braces. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But you know, and there's been a lot of chat on Twitter about how important Doctor Who is to the LGBTQI plus community and I don't doubt that that's true the problem is that back in the day there was never any doubt 
that the doctor was an ally of all minorities and would fight Absolutely. for them. And you didn't have to emblazon him with a rainbow flag in order to yeah. make that point. It was done through the writing. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's it's just become all so cack-handed. And, I mean, this is, we're talk, we've talked now about how some certain areas of the fandom have sort of, you know, postulate the idea if you're against the female doctor then you're automatically a misogynist. And there seems to be, I've noticed that a tendency in certain aspects of the fandom now, the priority thinking as far as Doctor Who seems to be that Doctor Who is about inclusivity and kindness. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's fundamental. And it's sort of like, no, it was on between Grandstand and Jukebox Jury. Yeah. It was on Coronation Street as an alternative and something to follow up Terry Wogan. It was on in the evenings because they were wanting to work out what night is EastEnders should go on and everyone loved Peter Davison. It was on after Basil Brush. It was never a sort of a social agenda driven, you know, it was all about entertainment and that seems to have got lost for well, to me at least. You know, watching the, the a lot of the, the episodes and it's like, you know, uh, I don't know. But I mean the costume's fascinating because it's you know it's an interesting point because in the first episode of the second series, they stuck her in an outfit. They stuck Jodie in an outfit that was very like what Matt Smith wore um kind of during his second series. It was a longer green coat she had a white shirt and she had a black bow tie. And do you know what? She looked amazing. She looked instantly a hundred times more doctorish than this, again, I'll use the phrase, this T-shirt, which just seemed to scream of box ticking. I mean, you know, you and I are both of the opinion that people can be whoever they want to be and we will support them completely in being that as long as, you know, they're not going around trying to kind of ruin anyone else's day. Yeah. And that's fine. But we don't need Doctor Who to preach it at us. No, because absolutely it's, not. It's sort of like, I think you'll find that most people that watch Doctor Who are quite open-minded and tolerant and supportive of minorities anyway. And, you know, as you say, the Doctor always had that tendency too, you know, sticking up for the underdog. And I came across a really interesting quote from Chibnall in an interview. I'm not quite sure when he gave it. It might be quite recent. And he just refers in it saying, um, I got thrown the most spectacular regeneration of the Doctor being a woman, something fans have been demanding for years, right? Now, let's ignore the idea that the implication there is that the vast majority of fans have been demanding it for years which obviously was never the case but yes some some fans had been expressing a a preference for that Mm. but here's the thing right now you've been listening to my other podcast i'll give it a plug the imposter about my life in politics yes i have it's very good everyone go and listen to it so i'm not just saying that it's fascinating and in a conversation we had earlier where I was talking about being the railways minister and about how you know how you get things done as a minister. When I was a minister, there was a number of different audiences I had to play to, but there were the fans of the railway, which right. you would probably call train spotters, enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there were the people that we run the railways for, the passengers who couldn't care less what type of locomotive they're on as long as it gets them to work in time, right? Now, I would have been a very, very bad railways minister if I had listened to the fans and done what they wanted me to do rather than listening to the passengers who were actually paying through their fares and their taxes for the service in the first place. And I think it's interesting that Chibnall cites the fans as a justification for making the doctor transsexual, which is what he's done. Yeah. Um, 
because that suggests somebody who probably shouldn't be in charge of a show. If you mm. think that you should be running it for the benefit of the fans, you shouldn't. You should be running it for a much, much wider audience. We know what happened in the 1980s when John Nathan Turner ran the show for the fans. He ran it into the ground and it was entirely justifiably cancelled. Yes. On that basis, do you think there's a risk of cancellation this time? Yeah, I think I think there is. I mean, it's you're you're absolutely right because you know we're saying that by aiming it towards the fans, um, it was the tail wagging the dog. I mean, it's 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 an interesting sort of um, it's interesting sort of noting the parallels between you know what's happened with Doctor Who on television the last few years and what happened in the eighties. You know, uh, a period and a period with a with a spiky Doctor who initially spiky doctor who seemingly wasn't very popular um and then a, a big shake-up but then it's sort of too late it's the same thing is happening quite a lot in spin-off media as well um we haven't really talked about it in the podcast yet mainly because i completely stalled reading the second book so i'm sorry kenny i will i will do it soon i promise um time lord victorious the big multimedia event which kind of happened at the tail end of last year which i was very uh about but then um my pal Dave Carey. I don't know if he listens. If you do, Dave, hello, hello to Sam and hello to to, um, to Kipling. Um, he did a he did a, one of his Twitter watch-alongs for Waters of Mars, and I thought, right, bucket, I'm in, I'm in. Time Lord Victorious, let's go. It set me up for it. But Time Lord Victorious very was this massive, big, you know, multimedia thing aimed squarely at the fans. It was only really fans that would invest in it all and, and buy it all, and. I see much more of that of that sort of thing happening. Just today, a new comic series has been announced by Titan, and it's a sort of running gag between a, you know myself and a few other people about how every single Doctor Who comic inevitably has the Doctor teaming up or making awful continuity references in the dialogue. But they've announced a series which is teaming up the Paul McGann and Matt Smith Doctors and two versions of Rose Tyler from before the Doctor even met her and from a parallel timeline the Doctor never met her. And I can't think of anything I would rather be less. <laughs> you know, it's it, the, the spin-off merchandise is, go, is becoming inward-looking. The programme and trying to please the fans is becoming inward-looking. I mean, I'm told, I'm not going to tell who, who told me because that wouldn't be fair on them. I'm told that there were sort of focus group type surveys sent round um, to active fans and the responses to these sort of almost dictated the forming of Time Lord Victorious, but also were fed into the sort of programme that was being made on television. And I think that's bonkers. I think Doctor Who at its best is when it can be enjoyed by everyone. I mean, that's why Russell T. Davis stuff was so successful. That's why it was so successful in the 70s with John Pertwee and Tom Baker, because it was made for everyone. And I think... Once the program and Mr. Moffat is, you know, is, you know, I'm very critical of Mr. Moffat, but I'm also there's a lot of his stuff that I do like, so I'm not completely critical of him. A lot of Mr. Moffat's stuff was was arc focused, and I wonder, you know, especially in his second um, Matt Smith series, and I wonder, and also in the final one with, with Matt Smith with all the stuff about Clara, and I sort of wonder all the all the arcs about Amy's child being stolen or Clara being the the, the impossible girl. I sort of wonder like how. How much do general audiences like that sort of stuff? When you're targeting something, a mass appeal program, at an increasingly sort of smaller audience who are going to follow it and get all these references and be into it, it kind of makes the. I mean, it was why I gave up on X Files. 
years ago. I was, you know, I watched X Files, but I got to the point where like, no, I, I can't be boring. I want ones through mm. the week. I want to be entertained. I don't want to have to keep all these conspiracy theory things in my head so that I can follow it. And I think Doctor Who's gone the same way. I mean, by trying to address the fans, you know, only people, fewer and fewer people are going to watch it, and and that's happening. It's 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 in danger of becoming completely inward looking. I mean, one good thing I liked about the first. I have to be honest, one thing that I really liked about the first few Chibnall episodes was that it seemed like a real return to first principles. There wasn't a lot of continuity stuff. The the humour, which I took exception to under Mr Moffat, was dialed down. And it seemed to be, you know, back to, to first principles about travelling in time and space. But it was just all a bit slow and a bit worthy. But in the second series, they just to get even more worthy with a capital W and all this continuity stuff. And I'm just like, bleh. And if, I mean, I've I've been a Doctor Who fan for 40 years. <laughs> I do a podcast on it. You know, my bit, the amount of money I spent on Big Finish between 2014 and 2017 would make you go pale. But even at the point now where I'm just sort of thinking, no, this isn't this isn't working for me. The priorities are all wrong. It just it's I think it's completely at its best when when Russell, like when Russell was doing it, which was I can put elements and scenes in which the fans will enjoy, like you know, hundreds of Daleks in space or little flashbacks and seeing the doctor, other doctor's face on, on monitors. But equally, it's accessible to people that aren't fans. And I think it's, as you say, you know, if the programme is pursuing that, then it, it can only end one way, you know? There's no point making it if no one's watching. It's like what Tom Petty used to say about, about being cool and music. It's like, there's no point making it if no one's going to hear it. There's, of course, you, got, you want top 40 hits. I mean, Jodie's first episode, I think, the highest viewing figures for a, debut doctor ever yeah but in the last series it recorded the lowest and i'm aware that obviously that viewing habits have changed drastically not even accelerated in the last few years both rise of streaming and iplayer and all such things but the program was recording the lowest overnight figures it's ever had and to me that just does not scream success an interesting thing getting back to the point we made at the start how the the announcement of chibnall and whittaker leaving there was, a, there was a great little puff piece to accompany it all where they raved about how successful it's been. And I sort of thought, no, I mean, it's, you know, I mentioned Time Lord Victorious there. The 13th Doctor was nowhere near it. That's another thing we should talk about is how little active merchandise there is with her. You know, she wasn't, it was sold completely in the fact it was basically David Tennant and Paul McGann. I thought, you know, I was talking about, I was talking about Big Finish, Time Lord Victorious. Yeah, well, they, they were involved with it, but the whole they did. Um, I think a DT story and uh, and they handled the Paul McGann audio stuff. But but, but, board, but it's, it's it's unusual for current serving doctors to be involved in those well, kind that's, of that's you know, absolutely true. But you know, you'd think the Doctor Who magazine could have done a comic with the current Doctor, right. or Titan could have done the current Doctor or whatever. But no, they did it with Davy, and that's basically because you know another example of this is there's a, a new computer game announced which is pending. I can't remember the title of it because I don't do computer games. Sorry, Kenny. Featuring Jodie's Doctor, but also featuring Davy, Davy's Doctor. And the, the, the other sort of interesting thing is that Titan Comics over the last year or so, they had a 13th Doctor comic, which basically wasn't selling, but they did a couple of miniseries for, that guest starred the 10th Doctor because people will buy it for the 10th Doctor. And there's, you know, there's, which I think is further evidence of how it's failed to connect on a wider level. I mean, anecdotal evidence, Forbidden Planet had an exclusive on a Jodie Whittaker action figure. Um, they had an exclusive on a Tim Shaw pop vinyl. You won't know who Tim Shaw is. Don't worry, I won't no explain. Idea. 
But the, the outlet for Bidden Planet in Glasgow got sent all of them to shift it at a fraction of what they originally on sale for because people just aren't interested. You know, there are certain committed fans who are still buying, who will still buy it all and are still into it, but it's it's lost the mass appeal, definitely. I would just, I'm just going to finish by saying this. I mean, I should note that I have never said anything on social media at all about my views on, on casting of a woman as, as the Doctor or Jodie Whittaker or Chibnall. I stay completely out of it because there's so much negativity and toxicity surrounding it so you can't say mm. anything without you know getting embroiled in that and life's too short so this is the first time I've ever said anything publicly and I won't say anything again after this but let me just make one more point I think the fact that the BBC and this was a BBC decision rather than a Chris Chibnall decision this, the, the fact that the BBC decided that they would advance women's representation in the media by insisting that the doctor was cast as a woman was an incredibly incredible failure of imagination. It would have been quite possible to introduce a new character or an, even an old female character and make them the lead character in, in either in a new show or even in Doctor Who. You know, yes. this, the search for the doctor sort of thing spread over two or three seasons. Um, yeah. And they, they, but what what they obviously decided that you know first of all it would tickle some boxes it would satisfy the very vehement fans who were busy being insulted by the presence of a man um mm -hmm. and they, they decided to go for the soft easy option and this was the easiest laziest option and actually and i i remember writing this at one point before jody whitaker was cast you know women deserve their own roles if you yeah. want to advance women uh, in drama then create good new original roles for them don't take an old male role off the shelf twist it a little bit make it a woman and put it back on the shelf that is the worst possible way of doing this and the bbc should frankly it is such a failure of imagination and, and a failure to women. It's the same as, you know, whenever you want to talk about advancing women in, in movies, very few people talk about creating new roles for them. What they talk about is let's make James Bond a woman. Let's make yes. so -so a woman. Well, yes. wait a minute. These are already. Let's make, all, let's make an all female Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah, it's, which was a great movie. I enjoyed it more than either of the originals, but that's 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 not the point. It's, the original um, Ghostbusters are vastly overrated. I yes, we'll we'll talk. We'll do that in another podcast. <laughs> Films we think are overrated. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. It's um, I mean, we've talked about you know the reasons why they did it, and it's. I still think it, you know my feeling is still that you know it would have been better as a one-off novelty at a Christmas special. My feeling was always that there was no narrative need for it. But again, as I say, I convinced me, I you know, was able to adjust my thinking and thought it didn't really matter that whether the Doctor was female or not. But the trouble is, I feel the execution hasn't justified it or made it, you know, worth their while. I feel, you know, an I get a sense of an actress who's a little bit out for depth, is maybe struggling to live up to it, but at the same time has been completely overshadowed. I mean, we haven't, we haven't talked about Joe Martin, you know, who's a character that was introduced in an episode in the last series was revealed to be previously, at this point, we think it's, you know, we haven't had the full resolution on it yet, but apparently is a, a previously unknown version of the Doctor. 
which is just a reheat of what we got with Sir John Hart in 2013 when when Mr Moffat had to kind of, you know, pull something out of the, the fan. It's yeah, and I, and, and I don't know anything about the Joe Martin storyline, but remember the 50th yeah. anniversary was supposed to be a huge deal, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the, the discovery of the War Doctor was a massively mind-blowing thing. Yeah. Chris, Chris Chibnall has now made the War Doctor a shrug of the shoulders. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. oh, the War Doctor. Yeah, yeah, there's been 400 of them before him. Yeah. One thing that sort of happened is that I've seen over the last year or so is that the amount of emphasis that's been given to Joe Martin over Jodie Whittaker is astonishing. <laughs> the, BBC twi- the BBC Instagram account posting photographs of Joe Martin saying thinking of Harden, I replied saying, yeah, shouldn't you be thinking of Jodie Whittaker? It continues what I'm saying about Time of Victoria. So it almost feels like they're undermining her. She hasn't really been given the chance. She hasn't been given the chance on the scripts. As I said in the last couple of episodes, the master stands and explains things to her. Rather than Doctor discovering what happened to Galfrey and the Doctor discovering what is apparently their own history, she gets told it by someone else. And I just think that's just bad storytelling. That's my biggest beef, is that... Yeah, sure don't tell. Yeah, if you're going to cast a woman then by God, you have to support her completely and give her the best stories possible. And I don't think that's been the case. I don't think Chibnall, I don't think Chibnall has the ability. I think he lucked it with Broadchurch, quite frankly. If you look at his Doctor Who episodes for previous Doctors, none of them are classics. Torchwood stuff's fine, but it's, you know, he's just writing relationship drama there. He's, he's not you know, really writing you know, Doctor Who. I think, I think it's a mistake to, to go down the, the continuity-heavy route, which they did in the last few episodes. I think Jodie was overshadowed by the fact that she had a crew of, including herself, four people in the TARDIS, which makes it impossible for anyone to properly get a crack at, you know, saying anything or, or being the lead. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the episodes that she's got left. I probably <laughs> anticipate watching them. <laughs> but again, as I've said, my active interest in, is, is, and this is another, another point I should make, when both Rustle and Mr Moffat were in charge, they wrote their monthly column in Doctor Who magazine. Stephen would quite oft, often use it to answer viewers' questions and clarify plot points. But, you know, Chibnall does it once in a blue moon. And that's another contributing factor to my malaise. It, there's, there's no sense. There doesn't seem to be any drive from the, the people that are making it that they want us to watch it. Well, no. I mean, I think the, the one final consequence of all that's happened is that for the first time in literally in my life, I have absolutely no strong feelings about who becomes a doctor after her. Yeah. Because right. I, I, I won't watch it because I still, you know, even if it goes back to a male actor, he's still only the, he's still the 580th doctor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently. Um, yeah. And he's not even a time Lord. And so there's this whole backstory yeah. now that I have no interest in and no knowledge of. And yeah. frankly, can't be bothered doing all the research to get back in, in with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how much of that, how they tie that up. I imagine they'll probably address it. You know, there's already been a bit of speculation on the social medias that, you know, will it wind up with lots of other hitherto unseen doctors all played the oh, same yeah. side? Yeah, yeah, you know, which, yeah. which, let's be honest, is just a complete reheat of the 1999 comic relief special yeah. that Mr. Moffat wrote for a good cause. Well, the one, the, one, the one thing you can be sure of is that when all these doctors from the past emerge, they will all represent the rainbow. <laughs> which is what it's which is exactly the priority I don't know <laughs> they should they should they should do a Dallas they should uh, just re, they should have Peter Capaldi wake up after <laughs> a, and say what a terrible dream 
and, and I'm yeah. still regenerating. <laughs> yeah, it wakes up and finds Matt Lucas in the shower. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Well, no doubt there'll be some response to our musings from those people who listen yeah. to our podcast. It'll be interesting to see what reaction yeah. we get. But um, I suppose I, I I I genuinely wish nothing but the best for both Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker in their careers ahead. From what I've seen of her, she is a very good actor, so I'm sure she'll do extremely well. Absolutely. But, Definitely. Uh, but. Uh, you know, not my cup of tea in this particular show. That's a good point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no bad on, on either of them for all that I'm sort of saying about not really enjoying this programme that they've been making recently. Maybe they'll go and do a series four of Broadchurch and we'll all have a great time. Which, I, which I've never seen. Really? First yeah. series is good. Right, but it's interesting to hear what you think about it, actually, because for a for a mystery programme... I believe it involves yeah. a child murder. I'm, I'm not very comfortable watching stuff like that. Yeah. It was interesting because it was, especially in the first series, it was a mystery program. It was a who done it without any clues as to who done it. <laughs> yeah, did it not have a countdown towards the end? Did not have a, <laughs> you've got to on, solve this murder within yes. twenty hours or something? There was a there was a pause and the clock ticked and you said, right, it's the Broadchurch break. Which character do you think is the werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> That's, anyway. a, that's a very niche reference for people yeah. <laughs> who have to have watched The Beast Must Die. They should check it out. Okay. Right, David, I'll see you at some point soon. We'll get back yes. on to the, the, main, uh, the main podcast episodes after this Absolutely. short deviation. Yes, Tom, it was, a, it was an effing pleasure. Good to see you. Thank you, listeners, for, um, for persevering if you're listening to, to us having a grump. <laughs> right. Speak to you next time. All the best. Bye-bye. He's gone. He's gone. Man, I feel like a woman. So long, farewell. I'll be just saying adieu. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you.